0: Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Wherever you find yourself in this entire world, I welcome you. How are you doing, my friend? I trust you are well and safe. Can you believe it's already May? Oh my goodness, we've been quarantined now for over 45 days, and one day seems to fly right into the other. Are you like us and have to actually check your phone to remember the day it is? (laughs) It's so funny, yet it's so sad. Since we aren't expected anywhere, most days seem the same. But I'm using this time to be productive, creative, and learn new things. I hope you are too. Over the last number of weeks, we spoke about the coronavirus, dealing with the fear of the unknown, the small everyday griefs that upset us and how to handle them. We also looked at how we would deal with our own death and speaking to family and friends about death and dying. We also looked at how we would speak with young ones and teenagers about this issue. In this episode, I wanted to discuss what happens when someone we love dies of the coronavirus and how different it is from other times when we might lose a loved one. One of the most painful parts of this pandemic is the inability to be with loved ones who are either in a nursing facility or taken to the hospital once the virus has overcome their bodies. Not being able to be an advocate for our loved ones, especially older loved ones, who may not be able to make decisions for their own care, can be heartbreaking. Trying to get information from hospital staff is difficult because they are so busy with all the other patients, and if your loved one has been put on a ventilator, well, they obviously can't communicate with you any longer. Recently, I met a fellow classmate. We are both taking an online course together. And she told me of her frustration as she and her family endured the day-by-day updates for their beloved cousin Alexis, who succumbed to the coronavirus on April 10th. Diane Daniels was so gracious to contribute her story, which I'd like to share with you now. You always hear about how terrible it can be to wait for the phone to ring, to tell you bad news or inform you of an accident. But this time, it was a text message. My sister-in-law, Angie, was texting to let us know that our cousin, Alexis, had been admitted to the hospital, suspected of contracting the coronavirus. The first thing that went through my head was, oh, no. The second thing was hearing the voice of actress Esther Roll, who played Florida Evans in the sitcom Good Times years ago. And she would say, damn, damn, damn. I wanted the end to be better. I wanted to have hope. I wanted to keep that stiff upper lip. But inside I was already crying. You see, my cousin Alexis was one of those people with a compromised immune system. She had allergies and breathing difficulties, including asthma. And she was someone for whom the COVID-19 virus could easily be deadly. She lived her life and loved her family like so many of the others who have been stricken with the virus. But this was different. The others who had lost their lives were human beings, but somewhat removed from me. I could feel sorry for their diagnosis, but it wasn't the punch in the gut like this was. Not my beautiful, bright, ambitious, successful, and entrepreneurial cousin. No, not Alexis. All the silly things that go through our heads. She's not that old. As if that makes a difference with this wretched virus. She's in pretty good health. As if that could fight off this horrible virus that rampages through the body system and leaves devastation in its wake. Knowing that what the experts were saying would in the end make the difference. That people with a compromised immune system or with a pre-existing condition like asthma, diabetes, or other issues would be hardest hit. Yet I didn't want to believe that someone with so much energy and verve and love of life could be struck down. The calls for prayers continued to come in, and the prayers went up. We were all pulling for Alexis and wishing we could be there. Never has the distance between Detroit, Michigan, and the neighboring tiny city of Highland Park, where Alexis lived, and Connecticut where we live now, seemed so far. News came in snippets. Alexis's breathing wasn't good. They put her on a ventilator. Ancestral memories flooded in. Someone being put on a respirator was the next step before having to say goodbye. But we kept on hoping, kept on praying, supporting each other as best we could, and kept waiting. Another news update, Alexis was improving. She was down to 40% dependency on the ventilator and slowly regaining her strength. We were feeling grateful and hopeful and adding the entire medical team to our prayers for strength and the exact right answers at the exact right time. And then a truly happy update. Alexis was moved out of the ICU was in stable condition in the hospital and improving every day. Hooray! We claimed victory, prayed continually for her family and for the medical staff that was caring for her and continued to believe that she would recover completely. We knew she wasn't out of the woods yet, but improvement raised all of our spirits. Only a few days later, we got the news no one wanted to hear. Alexis had to be put back on the ventilator. We were all hoping and praying that she'd rebound one more time and that she had regained her strength and was able to breathe fully on her own. The prayer vigils continued, and we kept concentrating on sending her positive energy, strength, and all the love we could muster. But on April 10th, our hopes were crushed. Alexis passed away early in the afternoon, and there were tears from everyone. The virus that had been a dreaded headline had just come home and kicked its way into our homes and our hearts. No, not our Alexis. Our thoughts turn again to her family, her husband, Arthur, her children, David and Olivia, her mother, our Aunt Dee. Again, the tears fell. The anger rose up. Why her? Why anyone? Why can't we beat this thing? Why doesn't somebody do something? We stand together with grim resolve, anyone in the family who is thinking about resisting the shelter-in-place orders across the country or slacking off from wearing their personal protective devices or face masks. Those thoughts were now thrown out like last week's garbage. Our family is now grim, but resolved. My daughter and I take to social media telling people that our family has been deeply affected and pleading with everyone within reach of our profiles and on our friends list to please take care of themselves and be careful. We don't want to lose another soul. Thank you, Diane, for sharing about your beautiful and accomplished cousin, Alexis. You can see photos of both Diane and Alexis on the corresponding blog for episode 22 on my site, marymack.info. You know, since this pandemic began, I read how Italy and Spain had so many people die and their funeral directors couldn't keep up with the sheer numbers, how they were leaving hospitals in body bags and placed in coffins that were lined up inside churches. How they couldn't be with their loved ones in the hospital as they died. And then, it hit our country, and we dealt with the same things. Many older folks who reside in nursing homes were getting sicker at a larger rate than others. And once someone went to the hospital with severe symptoms, Many had fatal outcomes, even those who were young with other conditions like Diane's cousin. But never did she believe that her young, beautiful cousin would ever succumb to such a horrific illness. And there are many who felt overwhelmed and unable to help their loved ones when they got sick. They did everything they could, but it wasn't enough and it made them feel impotent, guilty for not being with them when they died, anger that this was all happening. There is a part of all of us who still feels a sense of shock, that we have no control over this entire pandemic. I remember saying to David just this week that on New Year's Eve, we were enjoying a lovely dinner, danced in the lobby of the hotel to fun music. And then went back to our condo on the beach, and with champagne and hors d'oeuvres in bed, watched the ball drop from Times Square to usher in 2020, a brand new decade. Now that image seems so long ago, and never ever did we think that just five months later, we would be dealing with the worst pandemic anyone who is alive today has ever experienced. It's affected our economy, our family's ability to visit each other, our lifestyle, our work. Some of us have been sick ourselves and slowly recovered, and we are all so thankful for that. Others have not been so lucky. They were infected by the virus and never came home from the hospital. And we are left to grieve for them. But this is a different grief, and we must take the time we need to acknowledge that it is. If we haven't been able to be with our loved ones at the end, if we haven't been able to plan a funeral in the tradition we normally would have, if we haven't been able to bury or visit the burial location of our loved one, especially when we had little or no say in the matter. This is, by far, out of our normal customs, and we may feel anything from upset to absolute fury, but whatever we feel, we must make another plan if we are to emotionally move forward in our grief. First of all, we cannot control this. As much as we feel how unfair that is, as I've said in previous episodes, it's the way it is. We either get to continue to feel wild anger over what was done and how your loved one died and how you weren't involved to the extent you felt you wanted or needed to be, or you decide intentionally that there is absolutely nothing you could have done to prevent this virus from coming into our country and affecting the people you loved. And yes, I know the randomness of this virus on who it infects and who it doesn't and where in the world it has been most prevalent is disconcerting. Just seems so crazy, doesn't it? Some nations have hardly anything and others high infections and death rates. Now I realize this may seem like tough love, but the last thing I want you to do is compound your grieving process by taking responsibility for something that you had absolutely no part in. In the Bible, there is a scripture in the third chapter of Ecclesiastes. For everything, there is a season and a time for every purpose unto heaven, a time to be born and a time to die. And while we know we will never understand when our own day will come, or how we will die, each of us comes to a place where we are reconciled to this death. Some of us get a little more notice as in the case of illness. Others have more sudden or violent deaths. The reason I'm discussing this is to give you a chance to sit with pen and paper and write out all the things you wanted to say to him or her, had you been right there with them at their bedside. So what went unsaid? What circumstances were never resolved? What hurts were still there? What lies were never resolved? When was the last time you said, I love you? I am grateful for you and all that you ever did for me. When was the last time you told them how special they were, how you respected them and their talents and skills? All these things need to be written down on paper now so that you never again have to feel guilty or angry or sad that their last days were all on their own. Say everything that needs to be said. How you hated what happened when they died. How you felt so badly you couldn't be with them. How you can't believe that they died this way. How you wished you had more time together. I want you to take as many days to complete this letter as you need. Keep going back to it. Take all the time that's necessary. Then, I want you to have a wake online with Skype or Zoom. If there are too many people, have two nights and let everyone have time to talk about what your loved one meant to them. Tell stories that more than likely some of your guests never heard before, and it will bring smiles and laughter to all who attend. When my beloved grandmother died several decades ago, I had gone through all her letters she sent to me in college, and I brought them to read after the funeral. Since there were so many, I passed them around to all who gathered when we returned from the cemetery. No one had known that she was such a prolific writer during those four years. When I was young, I'd come home from school each weekday, and we'd watch General Hospital, which is a soap opera that she loved. When I went off to college, I didn't have time to keep up any longer, as I had a job each afternoon. She would cut out the recaps from the newspaper each weekend and send them to me along with her lovely handwritten note. It was so much fun getting her letters, and hearing all her personal news. My family really enjoyed reading those letters and reminiscing with me about earlier times. You know, I still have them. They are too treasured to me to release. Maybe you have some letters or cards that you could read or memorabilia you could show during your mini-wake or funeral video call. Maybe you could suggest others do the same to bring their own to show and read. It is important to have your gathering now. Don't wait. Please don't wait. I don't want you carrying all this in your heart for what could be several months more. Take the time to plan it now. Give your friends and your family a chance to participate. Each will hear stories they never knew about your loved one, and it will be a lovely surprise. Their life was filled with magnificent family, friends, neighbors, classmates, those they enjoyed hobbies with, those they worked with, and so many more. Invite them all toast to your loved one. And when you are able to visit their grave, you can either bury your long letter of completion under the grass at the cemetery, attach it to a helium balloon and let it lift into the sky, or simply burn it and blow all the ashes away. They were a significant part of your life. You loved them deeply and you will still grieve for them deeply for a long while. But what you don't have to do is make yourself feel badly for something that was beyond your control. So now let's get up, enjoy the music, move our bodies and dance, dance, dance and have fun. Dance with all the people in your home And even if you think this is a little strange, don't worry about it. Just do it anyway, okay? today. Remember to write five things in your journal each night that you are grateful for. Get your family in the habit of doing this also and share them around the dinner table each evening. Visit my website marymac.info for your free book. Leave your comments on episode 22 on how you honored your loved one. And please rate and review this podcast wherever you have heard me. And as always, remember to be happy because you deserve to. I'll speak to you again soon.